morning's scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, through to chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, this can be found on page 4 of the Blue Bible. Let us begin. God saw all that he had made, and, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. Let me pray as we come to consider the word of God in the scriptures. Father... Help us to understand your purposes as they apply to our life. Help us to understand what it means to find our rest in Jesus. As we look at your word today, we ask in his name. Amen. I don't know if you know about Stephen Langton. Poor old Stephen Langton. He had a lot going for him. He was uh, Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1100s. He probably drafted the Magna Carta, perhaps the most important legal document in the history of the world. He was certainly involved in the negotiations around the signing of the Magna Carta and had his signature. He's a big man, Stephen Langton. He's also very important because he did something that we do use every single week, if not every, hope, I hope for you, every single day. Stephen Langton, they say, is responsible for the chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles. He set the ones up that we use in the 1100s. Now, poor old Stephen Langton. He didn't get off to a very good start. So you're doing chapter and verse divisions in the Bible. Where am I going to start? I think I'll start right at the beginning of Genesis. Genesis, let's call that chapter 1, the first bit. Now, where will we finish chapter 1? Hmm, maybe this bit when God saw everything good, the end of the sixth day. Wrong, Stephen Langton, wrong. Chapter 1 is a very, very nice contained unit. It's a very well-structured unit and it very evidently finishes at chapter 2, verse 3. He didn't get off to a very good start. He didn't do such a bad job as he went through, but Stephen Langton messed up Genesis chapter 1. So we're reading through to Genesis chapter 2, 3 where the unit naturally ends. It's the narrative of creation that we've been looking at in this series on creation. There's seven days. You get to the end of the story or the retelling and it's the seventh day. Pretty straightforward. And on the seventh day, God creates nothing. Now when you finish a story, you don't just end at the very climax of the story. For instance, and Edward and Mary got married, the end. That's not a great way to finish a story. Here's a, here's a better way. And Edward and Mary got married and they both lived happily ever after, the end. That's much nicer, isn't it? That's a sort of tail-off fitting conclusion. Day seven in this Genesis creation account is the happily ever after. All the action has finished. 
The account is over. There's been this glorious act of creation. We have land and sea and sky and rivers and stars and moons and birds and fish and land animals and all sorts of creatures and finally human beings, mankind, created in the image of God. And we have them all being fruitful in creation, filling the earth. And so we get to what here is the end of chapter 1 and we read, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then what? Well, then they all lived happily ever after. Let me read about the seventh day. Thus all the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on, the, on it... He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The story is over. The account of creation. There is now peace. There is rest. There is completion. There is hope. There is satisfaction. The conclusion. The seventh day, it's a little bit like saying, and they all lived happily ever after. But I have to tell you, it's doing that but it's also this last little bit is doing so much more than that. Because this is part, this little last bit is part of a very carefully structured narrative. I explained some of this a few two weeks ago. The seventh day account is quite short, but it actually stands out from the other bits of the creation account. For instance, it, start, it finishes off deliberately what was started at one, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, and God... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, right at the end of this, we get those same things mentioned. God finished. God rested because of all the work of creating that he had done. We've got that, those same phrases repeated to end the section. But there is no creation on this seventh day, so it stands out in that point too. Further, there is no closing refrain. Every other day there is... And there was morning and there was evening. The second day there was morning, there was evening. The third there was morning, there was evening. But there is no morning and evening the seventh day. And only the seventh day is blessed by God and made holy. This is a special day. In fact, if you look through chapter verses 2 and 3, you will see that it's very carefully structured and there's some points being made again and again. There are sevens throughout the whole of chapter 1. Seven structures, but you get to the end and God complete, completed on the seventh day his work which he did. Now there are seven words in that line and there's seven words in the second line and there's seven words in the third line and there's seven words in the fourth line and, the, and he rested on the seventh day right in the middle of the line from all the work that he did and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It's like when we're finishing this story of creation, seven, 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 seven on the seventh day. Do you get it? And seven is a number of perfection and completion. This is the end. This is the perfection. This is the completion. This is a very special day, the seventh day. It's far more than they just lived happily ever after. There is huge significance to this day. Because this is the end. And the big question is, what does it mean then for us? This is the happily ever after, but what does it mean 
in God's creation account for creation to live happily ever after. It's all tied up there in the seventh day. There is one big idea that dominates this seventh day account. One big idea that is the answer to what does it mean to live in happily ever after and that is the one word rest. On the seventh day God rested from his creative acts. Thank God it's Friday. Is the Lord saying, well, thank God it's Saturday or is it Sunday, the seventh day? It's been a long week. I am tired from my work of creating. I need a rest. Well, God does not tire. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. The rest here is not one of exhaustion. The rest that we find on the seventh day is a rest which is the cessation of work. It's to cease from. This is the rest of deep pleasure and satisfaction. This is the rest of it is finished. The fruit of my creative activity is there. This is the rest of celebration, of completion. Let me uh, show you a little, some work I did in my backyard a few years ago. We started planning a big renovation, including the backyard. And to save some money, I decided that I would do a lot of the excavation myself with shovel and wheelbarrow. And I had a help from a few people. And it was a massive... Let's go back there, would, would we? I started in this corner here and started digging along. A lot of work, a lot of hard work, a lot of dirt moved, and then I hit this rock. Well, how big's that rock? Well, you keep going. Let's go to the next one. There it is. Oh, is it going to go all the way? Let's see how far we go. Oh my goodness me, that's a big rock. And, and just go back one. There's David Sterrett, our service leader, belting away at rocks trying to belt them down as we knocked them to pieces. And where that rock was killing me. I tell you, I kept going though. Well, let's move on. It's getting a bit further back. By this stage, I was saying, this is no more. I'm doing hammer and chisels up at this stage. Finally, I borrowed a jackhammer and found out the beauties of a jackhammer. Oh, look at that. What a man, what a man, what a mighty, mighty man, don't you think? <laughs> jackhammer, you really feel like a bloke when you've got a jack. Much better than plumbing. <laughs> uh, anyway, this was a big job. But we kept going and one day... I got there. And you look back and you say, I, I think it's done. And you actually, you get to that stage and you end up, like it's this big space like this and it's taken weeks and weeks and weeks, months and months and you're just walking around it with a sense of satisfaction. You know, maybe with a bit of a pick going, oh, I just knocked that little bit there off. But the work's done. I did it. It was hard work. But we got the job done. That is, the satisfaction of rest. You might have been, I was exhausted, but there's something satisfying about completing a good work. That seventh day rest. So understand verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is good. This is right. This is how life should be because it's finished and it's great. And the seventh day is the day that never ends. 
The seventh day is the day we were created for. A day of fruitfulness, a day of dominion, a day of relationship, a day of worship. Work does not end on the seventh day because God remains active in creation. God doesn't switch off, lock the kids in the playpen and go and have a nap. God continues to work. He's at work every moment of every day caring for us, watching over his people, sustaining creation. Jesus said himself, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too, says Jesus, am working. Jesus, the son of God, came to do the work of God. You see, it's still the seventh day, but work continues. Something else is very significant about this day, and that is the idea of blessing. God has blessed other, on other days, on day five. Let me read there. Days five and six. Well, the fish and the birds were created in verse 22. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters and the seas. Man was blessed. Verse 28. Christ, man in his image, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruit, fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. The blessing of God in both those incidents is associated with fruitfulness. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful. So on the seventh day, the whole of creation is blessed. The seventh day is blessed. And it is to be fruitful. It's also set aside. It's made holy. In a sense, the seventh day is to be spiritually fruitful. The seventh day is to be the day of being, the day of glory, the day of satisfaction, the day of fruitfulness where you bear fruit because that's what you do. Now, for God's people, this six days of work followed by a day of rest, this pattern was to be incorporated into their lifestyle. A weekly pattern. When Israel received the law at Mount Sinai, they were instructed to have a day of rest on the seventh day. This was rest not necessarily because of fatigue, although it may have been a good thing for that, but this was to be a rest of completion a rest of fullness, a rest of their trust and expression of their dependence on God because God is their ruler and they are under him. Their rest was not to be a rest of inactivity but it was to be a rest of living in fruitful relationship with God and with others. It was to express the principle that life is not all about work. Life is not all about you and what you do. But central to life is rest and satisfaction and relationships and worship and wholeness and fruitfulness. You need to build these things into the rhythm of your life, says God. So you don't just get caught up with yourself and with doing and with survival. It's not all about us. We are not God. 
Therefore, organize a day of rest, which should be defined, characterized by fruitfulness, by blessing, by being, and by worship. It was a very serious thing in the life of Israel. And when Israel failed to take that rest, that Sabbath day, it was a fracture of their relationship with God. It showed that they didn't trust him, they didn't obey him, that they thought they were their God, that they had to save themselves. Now Israel had been slaves in Egypt. And in Egypt there was tyranny, tyranny, there was oppression, there was no rest, there was hard labour, it was a hard life. There was no creation blessing. There was no fruitfulness in Egypt. There was only life under the curse. A life in a fallen world. See, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, when it's Adam and Eve rebel against God and sin against him, well, God curses them. He says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth and with pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband but he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. This is life in a fallen world. A life of toil and struggle and pain. A life with very little rest. A life that you live where you always seem to be chasing rest. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so weary, I'm so busy, I just need a holiday, I need a break, I just want to switch off, I just want, I just want to rest, I just want, I just want to down. That's the world we live in. And it's hard and it's made worse by the fact that we're slaves to sin. We keep rebelling against God and disobeying Him. And our world is troubled. Just look at the news of the past week, what a troubled world we live in with no rest, with vigilance all the time, constant vigilance. God comes to Egypt, Israel, in Egypt, under such tyranny, and he saves them out of their slavery by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. He gathers them to himself and he gives them ten commandments, his law, his way of living. Here's what you live like as my people in the fourth command was that they must rest. They must reflect God's image by resting in him, by trusting in him. And in the account in Exodus is actually linked to creation. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals nor your alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That command is also noted in Deuteronomy where it's linked to the redemption. You've been slaved out of Egypt, saved out of slavery, therefore rest on the seventh day. God led his people into the promised land, the land of rest. They were to express this rest in the pattern of their lives. Now within the promised land there was lots of work to be done. You see the rest was not necessarily mean there wasn't work to be done. They were called into the promised land to work and to be fruitful and to be in relationship and to worship and to show what it looked like to be God's people. The issue was not work, the issue was rest, trusting God, ceasing from work as a pattern of life because they had been saved out of slavery, out of trial, for rest. When we read the Old Testament, we see that Israel failed to enter their rest. They failed to keep the Sabbaths. They, had, they were troubled people, they were troubled by their sin they kept turning away from God. They had little rest in the land, the promised land of rest. The fruitful day that they had hoped for remained a longing, a yearning, which was still unrealised. There was unfinished business because God had promised rest. Now remember, the seventh day has no end. God has promised rest on the seventh day. So it has to be a reality. God must keep his promise. And so throughout the Old Testament we read promises that God will send a saviour. He will bring a Messiah, the anointed king, who will rule over God's people and bring this rest, this peace, this shalom for God's people. The New Testament tells us that the one who is the Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. Now in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were very serious about Sabbath keeping. Okay, we've stuffed up in the past, but we're going to keep the Sabbath now. We're going to have the day of rest. And they made up lots of extra rules and regulations so that everybody did what was right on the Sabbath day. Basically they said, don't do anything on the Sabbath day Unless you have to or we want to do it, then we'll make up a rule so you can do it anyway. We'll work it out. We'll fake it. The day of rest in Jesus' day had become a day of rules. And it's not that different today for many sincere Jews and even for some Christians. Here's something from Wikipedia about Sabbath observance for certain Jews. Seemingly forbidden acts may be performed by modifying technology such that no law is actually violated. In Sabbath mode, a Sabbath elevator will stop automatically at every floor, allowing people to step on and step off without anyone having to press buttons, which would normally be needed to work the elevator and would be called work. A Sabbath elevator. Or we might have a Shabbat lamps. Shabbat lamps have been developed to allow a light in the room to be turned on and off at will while the electricity remains on. A special mechanism blocks out the light when the off position is desired without violating Sabbath. 
So without the flick of a switch, the lights turn on and off because that would be work if you flicked the switch and broke a circuit. Jesus comes into a world just like that in his day with lots of silly rules and regulations about Sabbath keeping. In Luke chapter 6, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples began to pick ears of corn, rub them in their hands and eat the grain. Fair enough, there's hungry, there's corn. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing this? What is unlawful on the Sabbath day? Jesus quotes a story from King David, how King David took consecrated bread on the Sabbath day. And then he says, just like King David took consecrated bread on the Sabbath day, he says this in verse 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's talking about himself and says, well, if David did that, I'm the Son of Man. A little bit later in that same passage, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. And once again, he's in trouble. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, I asked you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? What's the Sabbath for? Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of rest. I am the Lord who brings completion and satisfaction. I am the Lord of godly being, of fruitfulness. I am the Lord of worship. I am the Lord of life because that's what the Sabbath was made for. For hungry people, for needy people, for people needing healing, for restoration, for wholeness. And I am Lord of those. And Jesus came to offer Sabbath rest the ultimate rest, that we might be restored to the image of God, that we might be delivered from the shadow of death, that we might be freed from slavery to sin and from the curse and from oppression and from this restlessness that we live with. Great words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. We sang them just a little bit earlier. Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And then he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't know if you can see it, but if Jesus is offering true rest, Sabbath rest, he needs to offer freedom from the curse. Which means he needs to offer freedom from the tyranny of sin and death. And this he won through his death on the cross. As the righteous one bore death, as the righteous one faced tyranny and curse, to set free those who were unrighteous. In John 19, verse 30, Jesus is on the cross. He's dying. And when he had received the drink of wine vinegar given to him, Jesus said, 
it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He finished his work. It is finished. And he finished his work. And at that moment, the temple curtain that separated people from the presence of God was torn in two. Because on that moment, the way, for anyone was, the way was open for anyone to find rest. Sabbath rest. Finished work. The beginning of a new creation. The risen Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is King of the rest. King of fruitfulness. He is Lord of the seventh day which never ends. And you come to him by faith and you find rest for your soul. That is his promise. The people of Israel, they never entered that rest. They never found God's creative purpose. They forsook the seventh day. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says this very thing and he quotes from Psalm 95 in Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, So the Holy Spirit says, Today, quoting from the psalm, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. Israel, you keep turning away, you keep forsaking the Lord. The writer says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Don't do what they did. Don't be disobedient. Don't be unbelieving. Uh, but, but the writer of the Hebrews brings his argument to a conclusion in chapter 4, verse 9, where he says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. How do you enter God's Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God? It is by faith in Jesus. It is by faith in the one who is Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of the rest, who has opened the way for that rest. Mere intellectual belief will not cut it. You need to trust in Jesus as Lord, the Lord who gives rest for your soul. You need to come to him weary and heavy laden and burdened with your sins, with your emptiness, you need to hand that over to him and say, take it away, Lord, the Lord who gives rest. Be my rest, be my peace, be my light, be my life. To put it simply, more faith, more rest. More faith, less work, more faith, less condemnation, more faith, less to be anxious about, less to be troubled about, 
hand it over to Jesus and trust in his finished work. Believing in Jesus that he is the one who keeps the Sabbath and provides Sabbath rest so you may find rest for your soul. Today is the seventh day and I'm not talking necessarily about Sunday although it may be a very good day to practice as a day of rest. But today, this age is the seventh day that never ends. Today is the day that is blessed and holiness. Today is the day that you were created for. Today is the day for fruitfulness, for being. Today is the day where you can find light and hope. And I know for many of you it's not that day because you don't know Jesus and that's the place to start. But there's many of you who do know Jesus and you think today's not a day of rest. There's so much whirring here and whirring here and just getting me despondent. Where is there rest? There is rest in Jesus. There is rest by faith in him. And God may be at work in your life through those trials that you're facing to drive you to him. Because God wants rest for your soul. He made you for rest. He made you for peace. He made you for fruitfulness. He made you for relationships. He made you for worship. And you're troubled because, well, what have I got a pulley up here for? Well, if you look on the back of your outline, there's a poem. I'll put it on the sheet. It was written in 1630 by George Herbert, an Anglican minister, a very old poem, and it's called The Pulley. You might wonder later why it's called The Pulley because it makes absolutely no references to pulleys. But we're going to read it together and see if you can follow. Poems aren't always easy but maybe this is a poem for your soul today. When God at first made man, having a glass of blessings standing by, he's, let us, said he, pour on him all we can. Let the world's riches which disperse fly contract into a span. So, Strength first made away. You can see he's pouring out strength. Then beauty flowed. Then wisdom, honour, pleasure. When, when almost all was out, God made a stay. Perceiving that alone of all his treasure, rest in the bottom lay. Are you following the poem? He's poured out all these blessings on man except for rest. For if I should, said he, bestow this creature, bestow this jewel on my creature, he would adore my gifts instead of me and rest in nature, not the God of nature. So both should losers be. Yet let him keep the rest, but keep them with repining restlessness. Let him be rich, and weary that at least if goodness lead him not to me yet weariness may toss him to my breast 
I don't know if you followed that poem, but maybe that restlessness is God's siren saying, find your rest in me. With all the blessings that I have laid upon your life, with all the richness and strength and ability and capacity you have, why are you so restlessness? Restless. Because God's withheld that you may cast yourself on him and find true rest for your soul in Jesus. Why Jesus says this, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do that and you will find the seventh day, far more than a happy ever after fairy tale, is true. That there is rest in a world of restlessness in Jesus. Let me pray. Father, help us to understand your creative purposes. Help us to see that they end with rest and that that rest is found in Jesus and the offer of forgiveness and new life and peace you offer through him. So, Father, be with us. Strengthen us by faith through your spirit to cast all of our burdens on you. to take the restlessness which so disturbs us and bring it to the foot of your cross and leave it there and to know your peace which passes all understanding. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.